0: Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact on the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Croc School's dedicated community fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit san diego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's san diego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. Join culture creator Ramel Wallace, museum CEO Micah Parson, philanthropist Erwin Jacobs, and urban agriculturist Diane Moss on Season 2 of Stop and Talk, a podcast about the future of the San Diego region. How can we create a vibrant region that celebrates our cultural richness and economic strength? Find out and hear other San Diego experts on Stop and Talk. Discover Seasons 1 and 2 now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com.
1: It comes from the Lombardi family of Salt Lake City.
0: (laughs) Salt Salt Lake
2: City. City.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We run all the gabagool north of the lake.
2: Welcome to the Voice of San Diego podcast, in partnership with News Radio 600 KOGO. I'm Andrea lopez Villafaña, managing editor at Voice of San Diego. I'm joined this week by education reporter Jacob McWhinney. Hey, Jacob.
1: Hey, Andrea. For some reason, I, as you were reading that, I kept hearing like Seinfeld slap bass in the background. <laughs>
2: Was that my voice was so smooth? Or? Yeah, it was smooth.
1: Yeah. It was like, welcome to the voice of San Diego. You know?
2: <laughs> okay. We'll have our producer add that in. <laughs> and um, we're joined by North County reporter Tiggis Lane. What's up, Tiggis? Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Coming up on the show this week, Monica Montgomery Stepp and Amy Reichhart are heading to the runoff for county supervisor. We'll look back at the strategies used during the special election and what voters had to say. And it's back to school week for students across the county. Jacob will explain the stories and trends he's watching this school year. In higher education, a new research center opened at UC San Diego, dedicated to psychedelics. The center is breaking ground in mushroom studies. Jacob will explain how it came to be and what this unique center is trying next. And finally, Polymer Health is freaking out. Months ago, we reported a financial plunge for the healthcare provider. Will they be able to recover and continue to surf North County? Tiggis will explain. It's going to be a good show. Stay with us. But first, our next live podcast is coming up on Wednesday, September 6th. We'll be at Original 40 in North Park. We'll have special guests, voice journalists, and of course, you, our amazing fans. Register now at VOSD.org slash events. Invite your friends and we'll see you there. So about an hour ago, today is Thursday, we start recording at like 1.30. But about an hour ago, I was kind of getting ready to look at the script. And I knew we were going to get an update on uh, the special primary election. But later till you know, we were going to get that at 5pm. So I was fully expecting, okay, great, our podcast is not going to be super current, but whatever, we'll chime in with all the Cool details we might offer, um, but it looks we have a new update, and it seems that Monica Montgomery Step and Amy Reichart will be headed to the runoff. There are six thousand ballots left to count, um, and Janessa was behind by a few thousand earlier, but now she's behind by three thousand and five hundred plus votes. So Reichart has claimed victory, as you know from earlier today. And um, Janessa has conceded to Monica, but she did not include Amy in her statement. A
3: hmm.
1: little bit of shade there, huh?
2: <laughs> I, I don't know. Maybe she, I think she's still hopeful, but also like uh. not hopeful, you know, <laughs> if, that, if that's a thing, right? So um, Janessa put out a statement. She's one of the candidates running in this race. She said, friends, there are still thousands of ballots left to count, but unfortunately it appears that our campaign does not have a path to victory.
1: Mm, that sounds pretty hopeless.
2: Yeah. Yeah. But she called to congratulate Monica.
1: So, so what do you think this, this you know, obviously Monica, she got around, what, 41-ish percent, so she didn't mm-hmm. win outright. No. So we're going to a runoff in November. What do you think this this campaign will look like going forward between between Monica and Amy? Do you think it, it'll, it'll probably all be positive messaging, right? Oh. Nobody's going to slander each other or, or <laughs> send out mean, petty mailers, Mailers. right?
2: Yeah, I mean, we've sort of talked about this. We talked about, you know, which, depending on what happened um, at the primary, you know, what would the race look like after that, right? Uh, Monica versus Janessa race compared to a Monica versus Amy race. And I think now that we're at the Monica versus Amy race, we can probably expect sort of party line arguments. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, if there is some sort of attack towards Amy, it'll likely be about her, um, you know, her, her opinions on COVID and masking and probably hit at her there. I would guess that, you know, on Monica's end, she would continue to be attacked by uh, the police officers association Mm -hmm. um, for that same messaging that she was attacked for during the primary. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, I don't I don't know. I think we all were kind of curious to see what a race would look like between Monica and Janessa given that they're both Democrats. Um, but I guess we'll we'll see. I mean, the district is really diverse and yes, Monica didn't run outright, but if you count the people who voted for Janessa, um if they might move to Monica, I think she's got a good chance.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the district is pretty overwhelmingly democratic. It'll be interesting to see how um, things like the mileage fee, which really, really, uh, Amy's been leaning on in a whole lot of messaging, and also helped candidates like Laura yeah. Laughlin and La Mesa uh, cruise to victory in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, especially, you know, given um, people are starting to set up a headstone for H- Hassan Carada over at Sandag. Uh, mm-hmm. So I wonder how how hard she'll lean on that. Um, a- and you know, one of the interesting things that that we saw on election day are our intern Catherine Gray. Went out and spoke to uh, some voters for for voices of our voters of the voters um, segment. And she spoke to to one person, Matt, uh, in University Heights, who said that he decided to vote for Montgum- Montgomery Step because he was turned off by mailers, um, essentially attacking her mm-hmm. for her. What would what we call it? Iffy. Uh, on, on iffy grounds about her support for police. Mm-hmm. He basically said those mailers had the opposite effect and made her want to support or made him want to support Monica. Yeah. So I'm curious to see if these mailers have these unintended consequences that that, that it seems to ha- have had with at least one voter.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I remember his specific um, input was that he didn't want to support a candidate who had support of police officers, which yeah. is what he read as, um, you know, they were supporting Janessa and against mm-hmm. Monica. But yeah, it's it's just fascinating when you talk to voters. Um, you know, I was speaking with Catherine when I was editing her story and she was like a lot of people really just felt like it was their civic duty to come out and voi- vote and um, you know, they didn't have super strong opinions towards one candidate or another. Mm-hmm. But then other people were, you know, really concerned. I think the two biggest issues were housing and homelessness. So, it'd be yeah. interesting to see how that shaped up the rest of the race.
1: Homelessness, really? That's a surprise. Yeah.
2: Wow, <laughs> we were not expecting that. <laughs>
1: So I I was sitting at home finishing up some work and I looked over at the table next to my couch and saw both of my ballots, my my ballot and my girlfriend's ballot sitting there. And I was like, oh.
2: Wait, you're one of those people?
1: (laughs) Well, (laughs) well, I'd filled them out and stuffed the envelopes and was like meant to drop them off. And then I was like, oh, I I guess I didn't vote.
2: (laughs) Wait, you never went to drop them off? (laughs) Oh my God. I just
1: forgot. (laughs) It was on my list. Okay.
2: Jeez. Wow. What can I
1: say I, I'm doing my best over here, you know. I'm-
2: <laughs> school starts on Monday. It's crazy. Da, da, da. It's is, crazy. It, is it an exciting time for people or I don't know, it's been so long since I was in school. <laughs> you know, I,
1: I don't I don't have a kid, why well, I I guess I am in school and no, so from personal experience, no. <laughs> no, it's not.
3: I think of fall, but that's because I grew up in Colorado and like the leaves would actually change color and it would get a little crispy out. <laughs> but here in San Diego, you know, the leaves just stay the same.
2: I remember like excited, how exciting it was to get a designated desk. And oh usually gosh, there's yeah. like a little name tag.
1: For me, I really I really liked having a locker.
2: But I, I never had a locker.
1: You, Ever you missed out? Man.
2: No. Oh well, my in PE there was lockers mm-hmm. you could put your stuff in, but, but you didn't have like your a designated own locker. locker. No, oh you had gosh. to carry your
3: own little lock. It was so fun. I would hang up little posters Yeah. like during the Twilight era. Oh, (laughs) Twilight. I had one of Team Jacob. (laughs) I was Team Edward. Well, thank you. (laughs) Secretly,
2: I think I was Team Dr. (laughs) Cullen because I thought I liked Edward's dad. Oh, man. (laughs) I'm I'm laughing with
1: you guys. Like I know at all (laughs) what what you're talking about. (laughs)
2: Were you not into Twilight stuff? No, I,
1: I was never into Twilight.
2: Anyway, so School Starts Monday. Um, you wrote about some of the stories that you've covered but will continue to follow um, in your Learning Curve newsletter.
1: Yes, this was sort of a last-minute pivot. Um, <laughs> We're good at that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, so I wrote about a couple things um, and just gave people an idea of why these stories are important or at least important to me and while why, I'll, why I'll, I'll be following them. So uh, the number one story for me that I'll be following is chronic absenteeism. Right. So what um, is that? So chronic absenteeism is when a kid misses uh, at least 10% of days in a given school year. Uh, after the pandemic, it just skyrocketed. It mm-hmm. it, it tripled uh, across the county and in many schools and many districts. And, and it tripled from around 11% to around 30%, which is just an unprecedented level of chronic absenteeism. Uh, and there are a lot of reasons to be worried about this. I mean, first off, very simply kids can't learn if they're not in school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty obvious. Uh, but also from a district perspective, uh, they're paid, they're funded partly by average daily attendance. And so right. the less kids go to school, the less money the district is getting. Um, and there are lots of wrinkles in this, right? Uh, um, the chronic absenteeism crisis is, is at at its worst in the lower grades, uh, you know, uh, kindergarten, first grade, uh, see particularly bad levels of chronic absenteeism. And that is very distressing because during those years, you're sort of building up your base knowledge that you'll be using the whole rest of your academic career. Mm-hmm. And so missing out on that could really put you at a disadvantage for years to come. Um, but also, you know, this tripling like with all things, even if there is a similar effect, some people, some communities bear the brunt even more. Right. Uh, and that's because even before the pandemic, uh, chronic absenteeism was a problem. Mm-hmm. And f- it was a problem for some communities more than others. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, uh, an example that I like to use is Bird Rock Elementary in La Jolla and Rodriguez Elementary in, in Logan Heights, which is pr- pretty- Yeah, down the street from my Yeah, house. right down the street yeah. from your place. So both of those schools saw a tripling of chronic absenteeism. But because before the pandemic, uh, Bird Rock Elementary in La Jolla had 4% chronic absenteeism, and Rodriguez Elementary had 24%, mm-hmm. that means that that tripling translates to 13% chronic absenteeism for- Uh, Bird Rock and seventy six percent for Rodriguez, which is just a truly distressing number. Um, And so that's one of the big uh, stories that I'll be following. And and in my opinion, it's kind of more important than all of the other things because, Mm -hmm. again, you know, test scores can only be improved so much if kids are still missing this shocking, frightening level of school. So it's downstream of all these other things, right? Uh, right? Uh, Another thing which I guess it's a neat transition is test scores mm-hmm. and um, like chronic absenteeism uh, test scores took a real, real hit from the pandemic and San Diego unified it, it erased these five years of gains of test score gains that the district had made. Right. Uh, this we, was
2: the time when kids were learning from home yes, or exactly. not learning at home. Learning or not learning from yeah. home.
1: Yeah. They were at home. What what they were doing is probably debatable. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, the, the test scores took a big hit. And although this is sort of a flawed metric, I mean, Will has done some reporting and we created a whole metric a- around uh, this concept, which is that, that oftentimes test scores correlate super, super closely with um, the level of poverty in a mm-hmm. community. Uh, and so admittedly, this is a flawed metric, but it is the metric we have. And what we're seeing from that metric is, that things are not good, um, so that's that's another thing I'll be paying attention to this this level of test scores, and then kind of I guess like a rapid fire sort of thing is is I've been paying attention to San Diego Unified's after school care wait list, and after school care can be can be really a, a make or break thing for for working parents. And mm-hmm. San Diego Unified, you know, credit where credits due. It's done a good job of reducing that that wait list, but it's still not to zero. Um, so I'll be paying attention to that. Z- zero was the goal they had. Uh, Universal transitional kindergarten is another big issue. Uh, You know, it's this new grade for four-year-olds that that California created. San Diego Unified decided to roll it out quicker than some other districts because they viewed it as this way to maybe bring kids back into their schools and combat this long-term trend of enrollment decline. Uh, Sort of not really kind of worked. Uh, Mm -hmm. But regardless, there were issues from curriculum to staffing um, to... uh, Funding a whole lot of things that the, that the district still needs to iron out, uh, and lastly budget. San Diego Unified it had this sort of bizarre halcyon day of of budgets the past couple of years because all of this federal money flowed in as, as part of the COVID response in schools, um, but not this coming year, but the year after that, and also the year after that. Uh, San Diego Unified is 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 um, projecting these these big budget deficits, uh, uh, as high as $189 million. Uh, Mm -hmm. so cuts will have to happen. Uh, Mm -hmm. the district has expressed confidence that they will be able to balance the budget without resorting to layoffs like they have in the past, but that's, that's yet to come. So we know cuts will happen, but it's just, it, it, you know, it's a matter of what it's a matter of what it's Mm -hmm. a matter of, of, you know, Of which departments take the brunt of it. Mm -hmm. So these are all some things I'm going to be paying attention to. If you have some suggestions, Jacob, J-A-K-O-B at V-O-S-D dot org, please get in touch.
3: With the San Diego Unified's budget deficit. So have they already gone through their COVID relief funds or is that? In the next couple of years, they're gonna
1: to- yeah. So so this I guess this school year, um, COVID relief funds will expire essentially, uh, and after that, that's when they're starting to look at at, at their budgets and, and see these big holes, um, and, and so it's it's a worrying situation. But it's not one the district hasn't been in in the past. They have had um, you know very large deficits in the past that that they have balanced, but. They did so by cutting positions, which is something they really don't want to do this time.
2: Do they have any plans for how to improve UTK? I know that was a you know thing that's we're following.
1: yeah that's that's something I I think I need to check back in on. Um, mm-hmm. I, I know that when I started reporting on these these issues, they basically said, you know, we're still figuring this out, and, right. and to their for, to you know to their credit, rolling out a brand new grade for rambunctious little four-year-olds does not sound <laughs> like an easy task. And so, um, you know, I, I understand that there are going to be some stumbles, uh, yeah. but but they chose to roll it out to all four-year-olds a- at the same time, whereas the district had actually, or the, the state built in this sort of phase-in period, right? So if you're, I, I'm, I don't, I, w- I never remember the specifics of which months, but if your birthday is, say, you know, between August and September, if you turn four between August and September, uh, you have to be, the state said you have to have a spot in a UTK program by 2024. These are all wrong. These are just hypotheticals. (laughs) And if you have a birthday between September and November, you have to have a space, you have to have space in the UTK by 2025. Right. But instead of that sort of-
2: An idea to- slowly roll it out exactly. give themselves time to yeah. see like ah it's good or that's not good or Diego need Unified just
1: decided to cannonball into the whole experience nice and and you know uh, obviously these things are difficult and it'll take time to iron out but also like dude you're the one who jumped in <laughs> <laughs> you know <laughs>
2: Let's go from K through 12. Now we're moving on to higher ed. UC San Diego opened up a new research center that caught our attention. Jacob, you wrote about this. What's going on here? <laughs> <laughs> you told me about the story, and I was like, "What? Yeah, okay.
1: yeah." So, I, I what I ended up finding is the Psychedelics and Health Research Initiative at UCSD. Uh, mm-hmm. That's their old name. Um, from what I'm told, I was told they ha- have now gained center status, which I don't really know what the difference is. But but don't Sounds tell them cool. that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Foddle and and uh, Tim, don't don't listen to that part. <laughs> uh, but the psychedelic research center. Um, so this is a center that is currently studying the effect of mushrooms on individuals who are experiencing phantom limb pain, which is this is a type of, of pain or discomfort that's felt by people who are missing a limb.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and, you know, the, the more I got into this story and found out the roots of this this center, the more fascinating it,
2: yeah. it became. Yeah, so how did it start?
1: Yeah. So, okay, um, let's rewind the clock, clock.
2: We're back to 2016.
1: <laughs> um, we are in the desert nice. uh, with this guy named uh, Albert Lin. And he is a not only a researcher at UCSD, but he's kind of this almost I I kind of classify him as this like digital age Indiana Jones. He has a show on National Geographic where he uses drones to map, you know, ancient cities. And he, he's an engineer and uh, and and. Uh, um, Uh, scientist and just I mean all of these cool things right Mm -hmm. somehow his his status as a as a as a researcher at UCSD is one of the least impressive um accolades he's acquired Mm -hmm. um but anyway so we're in the desert with him he's off-roading with a friend and this vehicle that they're in flips over and it it crushes one of his legs uh after weeks of trying to stabilize this leg um he ends up getting it amputated And almost immediately after that, he starts to experience this severe, just really extreme. He describes it as like a level 10 out of 10, um, phantom limb pain and phantom limb pain is this really strange thing because, uh, researchers aren't sure if it's entirely physical, entirely psychological. I mean, when I spoke to, to one of the researchers at the center, Fadl Zaidan, he, uh, Described how it doesn't make any sense to him as a pain researcher, right? Mm-hmm. There are no nerves there,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, so how can it be physical pain?
2: But it feels real but to the individual experience. I mean, mm-hmm. it
1: feels like excruciatingly real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, so so he's feeling this pain, right? And he he is he is being treated by this doctor named Timothy Furnish, who works at UCST. Well, he comes to Timothy one day and says, "Hey, so I I did some mushrooms, and it." significantly decreased the level of pain that i was feeling from this this phantom limb situation uh it it decreased it by like 50% for a while mm-hmm. and and this doctor was like well that's weird um <laughs> you know and this was still is and was at that point a schedule 1 drug which means mush, magic mushrooms are which means that the federal government doesn't acknowledge that there are any medical uses for mm-hmm. it and so so Uh, tim timothy couldn't tell him hey why don't you do this thing but he he told him
2: why why don't you go do this drug yeah (laughs) (laughs) why don't you
1: go do this illegal drug again but under these very specific circumstances Uh but he said you know it could be interesting to to pair this this um psilocybin experience which psilocybin is the active psychedelic ingredient in mushrooms with this thing called mirror therapy Mm -hmm. uh, which is this kind of therapy where you put a mirror down to mimic um, to make it look visually like you have two limbs again. Um, and, mm-hmm. and the guy who invented it. how do they do that? Uh, you should look up videos, but basically, uh-huh. you know, you, you set up this mirror in a certain way. And so when you look down, and I, I'm, I'm blanking exactly on how it's done, but you look down and it looks as if you have... An arm because of this mirror that's showing your other arm. Oh, okay. Yeah, where where mm-hmm. your missing limb or or leg or you know whatever, whatever. it is uh-huh. missing. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Um, but this guy who created this mirror therapy uh, program was happened to also be a UCSD researcher, and mm-hmm. so um, this this guy Albert Lin finds this other researcher, researcher's name's V S Ramachandran and approaches him and. They give it a shot. He takes some mushrooms and he does this mirror therapy and magically his pain is gone and never returns.
3: Wow. Oh, even so it's just forever gone. It's
1: just gone. Just poof into thin air. And so he comes back to to some of the doctors and tells them this story and they're like, "Uh, okay, that is weird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like um, medical doctors. Yeah, Uh-oh. and 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 they're you know, uh, Timothy described it to me as as it being like you know they're happy when the drugs have any sort of effect, but mm-hmm. but for it to just disappear forever is is shocking. But this is an anecdotal thing, right? This mm-hmm. is one person's story. There's no research behind this, uh, and, and so they decided to get together and create this initiative to try and study the potential effect of mushrooms on phantom limb pain mm-hmm. and they jumped through all of these regulatory hurdles from the dea to federal government to state right, to university again, programs a yeah. <laughs> serious drug yes because psilocybin mm-hmm. is still a schedule one drug and, and you can't just like be throwing it around willy-nilly at a place like a research institution like ucsd um, so they get some funding, jump through all these hurdles, and now they are in the process of testing uh with patients who are suffering from phantom limb
2: pain. Mm-hmm. And so you visited this clinic. Yeah. I'm picturing like the craziest looking clinic. I don't know. You just you just hear mushrooms and you're like, <laughs> Okay, <laughs> yeah, what's yeah. happening? What did it look like? I mean you were there.
1: Yeah, so so you walked in and it it, it felt like the stuffiest Research clinic you have ever been in, <laughs> you know, bright white lights, uh, paper on little hospital beds. It's just it was very standard. But mm-hmm. um, we're walking through the 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 lab, and uh, faddle stops at the pharmacy, and it's like, check this out. And he, he uh, reaches in, and you know, the, one of the pharmacists hands hands him a bag, and it's a big bag of pill bottles. Mm-hmm. Uh, each of the bottles were filled with pills of uh, synthetic psilocybin, uh, five grams in each pill, which is what um, famed, you know, psychedelic advocate Terence McKenna referred to as a heroic dose mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. because it is one that will, will get you there and then some. Wow. <laughs> um, so he, he leads our uh, photographer, Ariana Dressler and I d- down these hallways into, um, into uh, this room that they'd essentially curated to be, to, to work well for mushroom trips mm-hmm. and you walk in, the lights are dimmed, There are blackout curtains. There's like an assortment of crystals, candles. Um, uh, you can hear this, you know, like uh, tonal music playing. Uh, and, and this was a playlist that was actually created. It's like five hours long by Johns Hopkins mm-hmm. uh, famous research university. That's also Embarked on on mushroom studies, and they found that it <laughs> works really well for when people are tripping. Uh, and so uh, they 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 set up this place to be this sort of psychedelic oasis. Uh, and and it's I mean it's it's a fascinating situation. They 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 still don't have results from this study. They're still blinded to the results. It's a double blind study, so neither the researchers or the participants know whether or not they're going to receive mushrooms or niacin. I mean, obviously. You can imagine there are probably some some signs. <laughs> right. <I'm,
2: laughs> the walls aren't moving. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Um but uh and and you know, they they want to be very careful to not uh get over their skis in expectation with their expectations. Uh, and they're trying to do this in a very ethical and 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 scientifically rigorous manner. But they're they're very excited to be able to be embarking on this this kind of groundbreaking research. I mean, there's kind of we're in this new moment where psychedelics are being studied. Um, with rigorous scientific methods in a way that that they really haven't been for decades at least.
3: So how are they able to use schedule one drugs for this specific research when normally you know people can't just use schedule one drugs?
1: Yeah, I mean that's a good question. Uh, it, and it didn't come easy. Uh, there are all of these things that they had all these hoops that they had to jump through right Again, they had to get approval from the DEA and from other federal government. Which uh,
2: I'm sure was super easy. Very totally easy. Right? <laughs> okay. um,
1: uh, other uh, statewide organizations, university review boards, and, and they have to do it in a very specific way, jump through each hoop at a specific time. It's this very in, uh, intricate um, choreographed process. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, the interesting thing about that is this they're they're embarking on some new research in the coming years that I'll talk about in a second that will be even more difficult for them to approve uh, to get regulatory approval for because this stuff there was already sort of a trail blazed by Johns Hopkins which has been doing research with mushrooms in the past but their next venture will be to study DMT uh, which is one of the most powerful psychedelics naturally occurring psychedelics or out out there uh, often referred to as the spirit molecule, uh, and and <laughs> <laughs> there Sounds currently intense. is not. Intense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is intense. Yeah, but um, currently there is no university with this sort of regulatory approval to study DMT. But UCSD got a 1.5 million dollar gift. All of this research is 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 funded by gifts um, to study DMT, and so that's that's next on their list, uh, and it will be even more difficult to gain regulatory approval because they don't have this path that was mm-hmm. sort of carved out by, by a university before them. Uh, and, and so that will be fascinating to watch and to keep an eye on. Uh, they, they first off want to just figure out how to dose people properly. They're going to approach it in a pretty unique way. Generally, when people use DMT recreationally, they smoke it and it lasts, what, like five to 15 minutes but it is a intense hallucinatory psychedelic experience that that some researchers have compared to you know near death experiences. Um, you know, DMT is something that exists in people's brains already, it, mm-hmm. it, or uh, you know, in people's bodies. It's naturally occurring, uh, and and you know, said to be released at certain points in, in people's lives but uh these researchers plan to uh administer this and this is a model that that other colleges other universities uh, you know I believe in England have um uh, experimented with where they administer this drug intravenously uh for 30 to 90 minutes at a time which is a lifetime for a, a drug as powerful as as, mm-hmm. as DMT
3: so are they using it for pain relief, like the mushrooms, or like other healing properties?
1: They're they're essentially doing a little bit more of um, long term. They want to see if it can be used to treat things like anxiety. Mm. But over the short term, they're they're they have a bunch of more basic scientific questions, like how does a, the brain react when it's on DMT? Mm-hmm. Um, how do we best uh, administer this? Can we cr- can we craft the the uh, you know, administering process to make sure that it's as precise as possible. Uh, And they also (laughs) want to try and study the, um, the entity phenomenon, which many people who are on DMT report that they interact with this autonomous entity and they want to be able to study whether or not this is something that's, that's happening in the brain, whether it's Mm -hmm. something that's happening visually, if people are seeing this, And try and get to the bottom of some of these more kind of, I guess, ineffable, heady questions.
2: Mm. Wow. You can read Jacob's story now at VOSD.org slash Jacob. That's VOSD.org slash J A K O B.
1: Yeah, I might have to bounce out. Is that okay?
3: Yeah. Yeah, Hi, Jacob. Hi,
0: Jacob. (laughs) We're going to take a quick break. Stay with us. Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Croc School's dedicated community fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit san diego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's san diego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. Discover Seasons 1 and 2 now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com.
2: So Tiggist, you spent a couple months digging into financial statements for Polymer Health. Uh, That's a big North County public health provider. Uh, Why were you looking um, through their statements in the first place?
3: Well, I had a few conversations with North County residents, a couple people in the community. The who, best stories come out of talking to people. Yes, I they do. Say that. You always tell me that. <laughs> <laughs> you just got to talk to people. Great advice, yes. So they were kind of telling me these are people who have depended on Palomar Health for a long time. You know, it's a very big health care provider, um, serves a lot of North County people. Mm-hmm. So, these, Is it one hospital or... Two. two. So there's mm-hmm. one campus in Escondido and one in Poway. Okay. Yeah. So with those two combined, they serve a lot of North County people. And so these members of the community were, they keep tabs on something that they depend on, you know, and they started noticing like some financial trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, And they asked me like, maybe you should look into it. Mm-hmm. And so I started looking into it and, I did notice that in the last fiscal year, fiscal year twenty twenty three um which ended at the end of June, they did have some financial problems. Their income operating income dropped from forty two million dollars in twenty twenty two to nine million dollars in twenty twenty three And what's an operating income? An operating income is basically like the income the hospital makes from their core operations. so, the like patient care is obviously the biggest one. And then mm-hmm. things like the cafeteria or parking, all of those things. And so the operating income is their revenue minus their expenses. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like profit. You can look at it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a big deal if their operating income dropped by that much in just one year. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they were at $9 million. And then on top of that, they have... Um, quite a lot of debt, outstanding debt. So they're right now they're at about seven hundred million dollars in outstanding debt. Mm-hmm. And after they paid interest rates on that debt, that nine million dollars ended up going down to negative one point three million. Oh wow. So not great. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> financial
2: troubles yes um and so you wrote an article and um, we published it on voiceofsandiego.org you can go back and read it but so you wrote that article and in the time that you were writing that article obviously part of um our jobs is to try to understand the other side make sure we're seeing things correctly um and you reached out to them but did not hear back from them um, yeah when or at least didn't get a response on your direct questions yeah um, when
3: the story published what was their response to this reporting like you said they never responded to me directly and then after it published um, you know things got a little dramatic they <laughs> they weren't too happy with our article
2: mm-hmm.
3: um it sounded like they
2: your question brought up or your article brought up a lot of questions from stakeholders, Yeah, um, just different people involved in that world.
3: Yeah, definitely people started paying attention Mm -hmm. and asking questions of like, wait, what is going on financially? Are we okay? Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So stakeholders, other members of the community, Mm -hmm. um, even their own employees, I think, started asking questions. Um, So yeah, the CEO of Palomar Health her name is Diane Hansen. Um, and like you said, she's never responded to our request for comment. Mm-hmm. But she started speaking to a couple of news outlets, um, one of them being the Union Tribune mm-hmm. and the other one was the Escondido Times Advocate. Um, and basically started, you know, telling them, you know, we're actually fine. Mm-hmm. We're we good. expect growth. Yeah, we expect a lot of growth. She actually said they're expecting their best year ever next Mm -hmm. year, um, which is actually this fiscal year that started in July. So they're expecting an operating income of about $55 million, Mm -hmm. which will be the best that they've ever done. Mm -hmm. So it'll be interesting to see how they go from, you know, $9 million, like I said, back up to $55 million And another element of this is the Kaiser Hospital that is that just opened up next door to the Palomar Medical Center in Escondido. Mm -hmm. Um, Basically, Kaiser was paying Palomar to allow its North County members to use Palomar Medical Center because the other Kaiser hospitals in San Diego aren't in North County. So they wanted their North County members to have access to medical care. Mm -hmm. And so they allowed them to go to Palomar Medical Center. But that contract between Kaiser and Palomar is set to expire in December of 2024. And in the meantime, Kaiser just opened up their new hospital in San Marcos. So it's unclear how much money is tied up in that contract. Mm -hmm. But eventually, you know, that contract is going to end and... Most likely what we're predicting is that Palomar will probably lose some money from that contract. Mm -hmm. Again, it's not clear how much. Um, And Kaiser's patients that were going to Palomar Medical Center will now have that option to go to Kaiser facility in San Marcos. So it'll be interesting to see how all of those finances work out for Palomar in 2024.
2: And why is it unclear how much they could lose in that contract?
3: The details of that contract has never been disclosed. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's allowed, right, by some sort of state law? It's allowed. There was a grand jury decision, a county grand jury decision that allowed Palomar to keep those details private. This was like several years ago um, because people kept asking for the details of the finances. And this grand jury decided, no, they actually don't have to disclose it because of the competition that exists between hospitals, how extreme it is. Um, So, yeah, those details have never been disclosed. And even um, in talking to these news outlets, uh, the CEO hasn't disclosed those financial details. But she has said they're not worried about the Kaiser Hospital. Mm -hmm. They're not worried about the contract ending because, you know, she says they've been planning for it. What that means exactly is still unclear mm-hmm. um, because, again, we don't know what the finances look like. Mm-hmm. So, And if they'll be able to get up to that 50 plus. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's definitely just going to be like a wait and see. And she even told um, one of the news outlets that they're expecting to see financial gains starting as early as October, which is in like a month and a half. Yeah. So it would be interesting how, you know, they're going to go from that $9 million to seeing financial gains in a matter of a few months. Well, I'm sure you'll follow up. Yes, I'll definitely keep an eye out. I'll let you guys know what's going on. Uh, you can check out that story and follow Tiggist's newsletter at
2: vosd.org slash That's vosd.org slash Um, So I wrote something short and sweet for my cup of chisme this Mm -hmm. weekend. Um, It was actual chisme. So again, this is where I always go back to just talk to people and you find things out. Um, So I learned that employees at the San Diego Union Tribune um, were told towards the end of July that they could no longer work at their office, which is at 600 B Street in downtown. And um, they would have to collect their personal belongings. And so a lot of employees had questions about you know, okay, does that mean we're not going to work at this building anymore? Does that mean they're going to try, the new owners um, are going to try to get us out of the lease? Um, and so I found out that in 2016, the own paper reported that the company had signed a $40 million 15-year lease um, to use four floors in that building that they're in now. Um, now, I remember when I worked there uh, during COVID, there was talks of, you um, you know, maybe subleasing one of the floors because we the newsroom was empty. There yeah, was no one working from the office. Yeah. yeah, everyone was working from home. And, you know, obviously leasing a space in downtown at a time when I think at that time they had just offered buyouts for some of uh, mm-hmm. the staff. Um, You know, we were in the middle of a pandemic, unsure of what was going to happen, even though we were busier than ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I remember at that time there was discussions about that. And so uh, various sources told me that Recently, before the Union Tribune was sold, um, the company had uh, arranged some sort of thing where they could lease only two floors instead of four floors. Uh, so they would be, you know, downsizing on the floors that they were leasing. Mm-hmm. And a part of that was that the name, the sign, the San Diego Union Tribune on the building would eventually come down. Mm. And um, you know that hasn't come down yet. I don't know if it's going to happen. That's at least what. Um, you know, several people told me, and oh, that's so um, crazy. Yeah, and I and I don't know. I reached out to the new owners and I said, "Are you trying to get out of this lease?
3: Yeah. Um,
2: you know, is that sign going to come down anytime soon?" But you know, more than the the chisme and the news I had gotten that day, I think I really reflected on like what that means, right? So yeah, we were all pretty shocked to hear that the Union Tribune was sold, right? Um, you know, and then immediately all this. Um, the buyouts that came with that, all the experienced and talented reporters um, that decided to take a buyout. And I think there's still sort of this feeling within the staff that, you know, maybe there might still be some layoffs. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's still very, you know, everybody's working hard. There's so many talented people still there. Um, But for me, it was just a moment, like if that happens or when that happens and that sign comes down, I don't know. It just makes me so sad to think about it that. It's and they really haven't sad. been in that building forever, yeah. you know? <laughs> but at some point or another, they've had a presence, right? Like dating back from when the paper first started. Yeah. Um, you know, there's always been some sort of building with that name. And yeah. I'm not saying that, you know, if the new owners find a new spot that they won't put the name of the newspaper up. Right. But it's just a sort of representation of what we've lost and um yeah it just really resonated I mean I remember countless times when I worked there I would (laughs) take a picture of it for my Instagram story if the light was just right yeah um you know and it just it signaled that like someone was watching and um all the people that are so talented and you know were working there when I was there and um yeah it's really
3: sad to think about it it's really sad it feels like a big moment. Like mm-hmm. even just walking, I mean, we're our office is downtown, so yeah. we see it sometimes. We and you were walking the other day and we mm-hmm. looked up at the sign. So it's weird to think that it won't be there anymore. Right. One day. And it is it does symbolize just all the change that's been going on at the U T and it's a little scary.
2: Yeah, I found it interesting. I, I thought it was the sort of thing like that only I would find interesting or other nerdy journalism people would find interesting, but um, I received this note from a reader who said, uh, quote, in just a few short sentences, you managed to capture feelings and emotions that I believe so many people in the region have been encountering since the sale of the newspaper and its related dismantling. And while I know that most of us reading your words don't have the same firsthand experience of having been part of the organization, the UT has been a special and vital part of the San Diego community for generations. It's quite literally our history, but appears to be a fading piece of our future.
0: Thanks for listening to the Voice of San Diego podcast, the most popular public affairs podcast in San Diego. Don't forget about our next live show, Brews and News, is coming up on September 6th in North Park. You can see details and register now at vosd.org slash events. That's vosd.org slash events. We are excited to see you there. Andrea Lopez Villafaña is our managing editor at Voice of San Diego. Jacob McWinney is our education reporter. Tiggis Lane is our North County reporter. I'm Nate John, producer for the show. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next week.